Welcome back to Fitness or Fiction, a podcast dedicated to cutting through the hype of the health and fitness industry. Every week, we dig into a new topic and help you wade through the real information to make solid decisions on your fitness journey. And boom, we're live. Welcome back. It's good to see you, man. It was a while. To another episode of Fitness or Fiction. Cutting through the hype. Cutting through the hype. PNF stretching, proprioceptive neuromuscular felicitation. <laughs> I don't know what that word was, but it sounded bad. It's guaranteed to work 60% of the time, every time. Seven out of 10 dentists recommend it. Just like Crest. Yeah. yeah. So PNF stretching, we're picking up where we left off last time. I just got back from Colorado. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, impacts of PNF stretching. So we're going to talk about what that is and all that sort of stuff. But before we do, how are you feeling after the uh, conversation about stretching there, Eric? You know, I feel stretchy, statically. You feel statically stretched? Um, I don't know. I personally still like it. I still like static stretching for as meditative purposes for myself. I It's something I enjoy doing. Not long, long term, and it's not like super dedicated, but I enjoy sitting on the floor for 10 minutes and just breathing and holding some positions. Well, you know, we did talk about how that can help you find balance, control, whatever. Like, it, it's connection to your body at the end of the day, so... To the point, though, the focus of that when I do that is not like, oh my God, I'm going to get more flexible doing this, like... Yeah, I think coming out of that, it's really important to understand that well, this isn't about crapping on anything. It's it's about looking at information behind it. And when you find something that has apparent consensus and you find kind of a flimsy case behind it, for me, it's like, well, okay, well, I'm not against stretching. One of my clients posted a little rant I went on in class about stretching. And mm-hmm. I was like, listen, I use stretching, but it is really important that you identify what is the range that I need and do I have control over this range? Yeah. Because we don't need to create gumbies that have this like incredible range, but no muscular resilience. We need to, you know, create athletes and clients that actually can deal with real world demands, not flex around them like an invertebrate. Yeah. And to that point, like identifying why you're doing what you're doing and then how you're going to go about it. Like if you do need increased ranges in certain areas, is static stretching the best way to go about it? I personally don't feel like it, but I do, like I said, the value or the why I do static stretching is because I find it calming when I sit down for 10 minutes and do it. Yeah, well, and there's value there. Slows, well, slows the world down. Yeah, you know, slow down, have a few breaths. That's important. It spins the same speed, but it feels faster. <laughs> so what about this last week? Do you have any wins? It's been it's been two weeks since I was gone last Wednesday. It has been two weeks. It's been a blur. We had my Chinese dinner wedding. Oh, that's a big win. Yeah. That just being off the plate, that was... Um, I told a... Uh, I regaled the crowd with a story about your penis. You did, but you probably shouldn't talk about <laughs> it on this podcast. <laughs> well, you know, it's one of those things. You're a kid. It's okay. I got the story from your aunt. Now other yeah. people are going to want to know. I now know. want to know. Yeah. Leave us 10 reviews on iTunes and we'll give you the story. <laughs> yeah. That one, yeah. That one's in there real deep. So do you have a good time at your Chinese wedding? Yeah, it was, it was blurry though. It was so fast. It was... Like, take, take a crap load of pictures and sit up there and eat dinner and play some games, and the night was over. Well, I've emceed, like, 13 weddings or something like this. Um, I think that that is the fastest I've ever seen a cake eaten due to our incredible cutting skills. Yeah. 
we cut the whole cake into slices and just left the plates all over the table and because it was like pre-cut and ready to rock people just started coming up and grabbing it just taking down barriers baby i haven't been to that many weddings so i didn't know people don't really eat the cake but well if it's not cut up and everything people do not want to cut it themselves because they don't know if it's right they don't know if they're you know they don't want to be the first make a mess all that yeah yeah so i had some wins I went to the N1 course. That was incredible. Industry-leading information, really. The, the way they talk about the physics and the biomechanics behind um, the techniques that they use is, yeah, it's unrivaled in my experience. And I've taken more than 40 of those courses. So yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was a, a chance to really dig deep. And, uh, you know, I find sometimes just being the student is good. It has like a humbling effect of like, okay, what's the next part for me to learn? And, and that was good. And then I got to go snowboarding for a whole day in a t-shirt and sweatpants in Colorado. It was good. Nice toasty weather. Uh, yeah, it was like, it was 10 degrees. I wouldn't call it toasty, but it was good enough. Well, it's toasty for snowboarding. For snow, yeah. For the snow being that good, it was incredible. Yeah. So, but you know, all that being a dad, it was kind of hard to be away from the kids. And I was wanting to see Sarah and see how her tummy's doing with the new baby. And so it, it was a win, but it, was, it came with its challenges. I find that's kind of parenting in a nutshell. Yeah. The world's largest feeling of joy and um, deepest sorrow at the same time <laughs> it's crazy like i'm excited to be out here i miss my kids like will lost his first tooth while i was gone oh man oh man it goes fast i'm so. curious to see if any of the boys play those games with you like when they sabotage the parents like dad i left my tooth under the pillow for three days tooth fairy didn't come well why didn't you tell me you're not the tooth fairy <laughs> I wanted the tooth fairy to show up. Well, so my dad sabotaged us. He lost the tooth with my dad. My dad was looking after him. My dad was all excited. I'm like, okay, his first tooth. In, oh, okay, fine. But then he's like, oh, if you put it in tinfoil, you get double the cash. <laughs> oh, he told that to Will? Yeah. <laughs> so Will knew what was up. Yeah. So we got, like, he shook us down. What uh, area? <laughs> you, could, you could play that off. Well, that only works in the month of October. <laughs> Will's going to like stash all his teeth till October. Sarah's such a sweetheart though. She just went with it. I think he got five bucks for that one tooth. Did he? That's pretty solid. I'm like, Sarah, you know how many teeth he has, right? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So let's let's get into this thing here. So um, should we start with what PNF is? Sure. So proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation is a long way of saying PNF. That's the last time I'm going to say that. Makes me feel smart, though, when I say it. <sighs> Such yeah. a big boy That's word. That's why people like to say it. Proprioceptive neuromuscular <laughs> facilitation. Well, let's, let's break it down. So proprioceptive, like, proprioception is your ability to feel things. Mm -hmm. um, neuromuscular is your connection, your brain to your muscles. And then facilitation means that we're actually... We're facilitating something, so... You can't define facilitation by saying facilitation. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> facilitation means adapting to a particular stimulus. Let's call it that. Mm. So we're, we're going to adapt to a neuromuscular signal. In this case, it's contracting a muscle. And there's a few different types. Um, the one that people are used to is kind of like you lift your hamstring up, somebody holds it there, you contract, try to put it back down, and then they let go and then they push you into the stretch. There's a few different ways of doing PNF and you can get really stinky. I found, you know, one of the things that I looked at had like 12 different ways listed, but usually what we're looking at is agonist or antagonist. So like mm -hmm. agonist would be, while well, you're holding my leg in a particular area, I'm going to push you to go further. So the agonist, the actual muscle that is that we're trying to move that direction. The antagonist would be like, okay, well, 
let's say you're pushing my hamstring up towards me. Agonist would be pulling it further that way. Mm. Antagonist would be I'm pulling, I'm pushing against you to take it back the other way, and then you relax and it pushes it further. And what we're the signal we're sending to your brain is, listen, if I can get a shortened position here of the muscle, if I can get contraction, then I have more range than you're giving me. Mm-hmm. So, Or I, t- I explain it like I'm like you're teaching the muscle that it's like safe in that environment because you're not just loosely going into position. Yeah, you're, you're, you're basically you're showing the joint what it's like to be there. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you know, is this too cold for you? Yeah. So that's kind of what it is. You can do this with um, isometrics. You can do it with liftoffs. Meaning, you know, you're holding me in a position. I try to lift off of that position or, you know, there's a lot of different ways of doing this. You can even do, okay, you're, let's say my hamstrings up here. You're pushing against my heel. I push as hard as I can all the way down and you let me yield you all the way to the ground. A full range. And then you bring it back up. Yeah. But for simplicity's sake, we're just going to say PNF. So where does it come from, Eric? Tell me where it comes from. The origins of PNF, from what I found, was uh, according to the International PNF Association, <laughs> PNF stretching was developed by Dr. Herman Kabat in the 1940s to treat neuromuscular conditions, including polio and MS. Yes, mainly they were trying to decrease muscular hypertonicity. So spasticity is something that's pretty normal with neuromuscular conditions. Um, what would be spasticity? Spasticity would be like the muscle just contracts. It just does what it wants. Hypertonicity, hypertonicity would be that it just stays contracted. And spasticity can be like it, it increases contraction mm-hmm. a lot um, involuntarily. And we can't define spasticity by saying it's spastic. <laughs> well, you know, it, it just like randomly turns on. Yeah. Like bang. You don't have control over it would be the thing. But really what we're talking about here as far as what we're doing um, we're, we're affecting the Golgi tendon. Uh, the Golgi tendon reflex is basically where skeletal muscle fibers, um, go into the tendons of skeletal muscle. So the Golgi tendon organ is, is one of these things where like, let's say you're stretching too far and it's too painful. Your muscle will just turn on and pull it back. Mm-hmm. So that's really what we're trying to avoid in this type of stretching. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they'll write about, oh, you got to be careful. You don't want to contract too hard and all this sort of stuff. And really what we're trying to do is desensitize that Golgi tendon response. Mm-hmm. So it, it really deforms like the, deforms the terminals of the afferent axion. So basically it's, it's telling that motor unit, like we don't need you to be so hyper. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what's happened. So we talked about the the techniques or the styles or the methods like contract, relax, antagonist, agonist. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know going into this specifically, how intense does these stretch sensations need to be and how intense does the contractions need to be? Cause I've had it both ways where it's been like soft and I've had it where it's like excruciating, like 11 out of 10. So typically what you want to do is create something where you're not getting a stress response. So most of the stuff that you'll read about this is going to say, well, try to stay within like between five and seven out of 10. That's basically what I found. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you go, if you go too hard, you're actually, if you're at an end range and you're contracting that hard against a force, especially if you're doing it with a partner, um, this is about connection with your body. And if you go beyond what you can control and you, you're pressing that hard, you can you can risk damage and injury is essentially when you put enough force through a tissue that it can't handle it's not strong enough for it so it yields yeah 
that's what that would be considered injury so when we when we start coming into these positions especially like if you're on your own and you're doing contract relax or or other active forms of pnf on your own against something you have full control if there's somebody holding your leg there and you're contracting against them let's say you're contracting like 10 out of 10 you better turn that contraction down slow because if you just shut it off randomly they'll shoot your leg up really hard so there's there's some other challenges that come along with having a partner so do you think that they post on these articles to go out of five to seven out of ten difficulty to keep people safe? Do you believe that it's beneficial to go harder? I do. I like to use maximal safe contractions at end range. Mm. And maximal safe contraction would be something where you can feel a nice dense contraction, um, but we're not taking you to spasm. And, you know, I like to tell people if you get to spasm, sit there and wait and it'll settle down. It takes a while sometimes. It's pretty uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we want. Like yeah. let it settle down and then you know that you don't need to push it that far. Mm-hmm. It's really about awareness in a lot of ways. Um, but when we get into looking at PNF stretching, um, lots of the literature that I found was saying that it has benefits over just static stretching. Did you find that same thing? Yeah, for the most part, the the studies I were looking at was saying that it's... Uh it's better at increasing range of motion than static stretching for the long term and for the short term. Like for a short term, it's faster kick to get you get you the ranges that you're potentially looking for. And as long as you stay consistent with both, the PNF would yield higher results or higher ranges. Yeah. So if you had two people doing it like for 12 weeks, three times a day, the PNF theoretically would get greater range. I like to put these on a continuum myself. You want to hear me out on this one? Do it. So when we, when we first started talking about mobility and flexibility, we said there's this continuum and the continuum is, you know, completely passive to completely active. I like to say that, you know, the further down the line that we get towards full active range, the better we're teaching our brain to use the tissue. Mm -hmm. So for instance, at the N1 course that I was at, they were talking specifically like how to get into a particular muscle tissue. They break the pecs into three parts. They break the lats into three different parts. They break the shoulder into seven parts. And each one has its own line of pull, which all makes sense. I actually think that that sort of training where we're actually learning how to take a muscle borderline effortlessly through the, the plane of motion that it wants to go in is the highest truth. Mm-hmm. I think that if you can look at the shoulder and be like, okay, can you do all seven of these muscles in their actual line of pull and be reasonably strong there? a full range if the answer is yes it's unlikely that you're going to have a lot of stuff going on at the shoulder Mm -hmm. so to me it seems implicit that if we go down the line from completely static to pnf you're going to see more benefits and that's kind of what the research is saying here Uh, the challenge that i have with a lot of the research is the questions that they're asking don't really line up that well Mm. so you know you'll see can this increase hamstring range of motion it's like, okay, well, that's the answer is a yes. But do we have data on whether that was a good thing for that person? Like, do we have, do we have something that says, well, yeah, you know what? They're in less pain now. Their function has improved or anything. It's, it's not like that. It, it almost proliferates this idea that the body's just a mechanical system and it's bound by neurology. And because of that, even if we're using this as a, a short-term tool or a specific tool to avoid something, what is that something? Yeah, all these tests were just about generically, at least from what I was finding, it was all just like 
does it increase the range of motion? Yes or no? And the answer was yes, but it never really identified whether that was a good thing or a helpful thing because it might not always be a good thing. You might not always need those extra ranges. Well, yeah, and that, that really comes, that really brings things back. The, the landscape, let's call it the fitness landscape, a lot of times it's like, oh, yeah, well, your training should include strength training, flexibility, and nutrition. Is that pretty accurate to what you find? Yeah, the trifecta of fitness that I was talking to you about offline was like cardiovascular health, strength, and flexibility. It didn't really go into nutrition, but that should definitely be a part of the trifecta. We can call it the four pillars, but yeah, same. The four horsemen. Uh, <laughs> but for me, your strength training should be a way to train good ranges. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. Like when we talk about the strength of uh, a tissue, we have that like that bell that little bell graph, right? Mm -hmm. If you're on YouTube, you can see it's like a little top and goes down on the edges there. When you're in your N N1 course, when you're talking about like training full active ranges, the idea that like you dig a little deeper into those ranges over your program, like if so, if I'm doing like a, say a straight, like a stiff leg deadlift or a straight leg variation deadlift for my hamstrings, like just me dipping into that bottom ridge of the the stretch, if you will, will eventually lead into long-term range of motion gains is that the idea behind it so the idea is to train a muscle through its full range but it doesn't always need to be in one exercise so there's a lot of muscles that would be really challenging to set up in their full range for instance the lat if i'm doing like lumbar lat its antagonist would be sternal pec so through here would be where i would finish a sternal pec this would be full shortened most mm. people don't ever get in that range you'd have to do single arm yeah and if I wanted to choose an exercise where I was doing short, I could put the cable out there and I'd get the short part of the muscle. Mm -hmm. But to have something that would take me all the way to long with a really good resistance profile, it's a, it's a curving, curving range. Yeah. And that's our limbs roll around a, <laughs> a kind of spherical object, which is our ribs. So people think about pushing forward and back. And we are sagittal creatures. We are. We go forward and back are a big thing. But when you move your arm, it is, in fact, something that it is a kind of it's wrapping el around elliptical movement. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what they do is saying, well, w what phase are we in? What stimulus are we looking for? But they're really looking at making sure that a muscle can function well in its different ranges of motion. So they'll they'll talk about, well, let's let's work this muscle on short and make sure it can do that more metabolically demanding and because of that it would find its way in so certain phases more and then lengthened would be more mechanically demanding and that would find itself in certain phases and then you have these kind of more balanced movements that are gonna but in regards to increasing range of motion if you train the short the short ranges and the long ranges the idea that it would give you increased range i think if people understood the biomechanics behind their body and trained that way that they wouldn't have to think about ranges very much true story like we we do a lot of in the gym we do a lot of exercises that are very linear which is fine they're they not necessarily bad exercises but if you were to take that muscle all the way to short and all the way to long in in separate exercises and make sure that you're that you can achieve good tension there and that you can use that range well i think that a lot of the excess accoutrement uh, they they drop off. In fact, I would even argue that a lot of the preparatory work that we do, and you know, you see these people doing their monster walks and all this because they have to prep the glutes before they squat. Yeah. That to me would be a sign that they're 
either their setup or the function of their hips is very impaired. Mm -hmm. And monster walks are not prepping glute max. They're prepping glute med. People typically want to increase range of motion, though, because they think that it's going to assist with their injury or help with injury prevention. I think that's typically why somebody, they're like, they don't really care if their hamstrings are tight, but if they're afraid that their hamstrings are so tight, it's going to cause injury because it doesn't give them a range that they want and they're going to hurt themselves. I think that's why people want to increase their range of motion. So that really gets back into the heart of what we're discussing here. When, when we talk about static stretching, it's not what it's cracked up to be in a lot of ways in the research. doesn't mean it's useless. And in conjunction with other things can be very good. But my real question is, you know, investment versus the actual outcome. You know, what's the opportunity cost of what you're doing? You're spending, you know, 15 minutes going for a jog and then 10 minutes doing your warm up. Like a lot of people, that's how much time they have to work out. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear on that. So what if we chose something that was a little bit easier for their joint, a little bit more natural, and we can train them through the full range. That's likely going to have the best outcome of everything. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of jumping forward a little bit because we are going to talk about active ranges of motion and stuff like this. That's but, right. That's a different podcast. But for today, Might be. Ta- <laughs> talking about um, PNF, we are going down the line to start doing more awareness, more activation stuff and especially for somebody coming back from an injury or or having a range that's not available that should be like let's say you're trying to reach across your body and your your anterior delt freaks out right here Mm -hmm. when we're just getting in front of our shoulder and we want to keep pulling our hand across well that means we have a dysfunction in there and can we use pnf stretching to kind of figure out what muscles are around there and get further into that yeah but my input would be then you train it like getting these ranges, if we're not identifying why do I need this and how do I get it? And then how do I make sure that it's strong and stable? Like if we're not identifying that process, then what are we chasing? We're, we're literally chasing a vapor. Like, so is this going down more the path than the active, active ranges then? Because surely you're not suggesting people do PNF stretching and then go train with those new ranges they unlocked. That's exactly what I'm suggesting. So it's more valuable to do that. See, like, so the research I found said that uh, PNF is known to decrease muscular performance if done prior to exercise. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That and static stretching will decrease performance. So why would you do it before? I would do it specifically as a rehabilitation intervention. So I don't care if somebody's pressing their max bench that day. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I want you to have some activation and control in these ranges. Um, But that... That kind of pulls back to my main point is that if you have appropriate range at that joint, then why are you spending your time doing that? Mm-hmm. Like, do I need to do a bunch of shoulder activation before I, before I start my workout? Well, just thinking about like, just to summarize what you said or reiterate what you said, paraphrase, like PNF stretching prior to a bench day, like trying to open up your pecs or your shoulders or something like that before your bench is probably... Yeah, it might decrease performance, but uh, that's not really what we're chasing that day. You're not trying to hit a PR bench with your bang up, banged up shoulder. Uh, yeah, and, and the question would be, would I choose a bench? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I likely wouldn't do that. Or any any situation, though. Like, you're not you're not trying to do PNF stretching for some tissue and then hit your best lift of the day. Unlikely, no. <clears throat> what I would... Oh, froggy. <clears throat> <clears throat> no COVID. Um, what, what I would likely do with that person is get them into a good range for that shoulder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that would likely be like a press around or a fly or something like that rather than a barbell bench, which is, 
a lengthened to mid-range thing. You're never going to be in short. So, you know, it tends to be a exercise where people will rupture a pec too. Yeah. Because you can put a lot of tension on there, but you're going to be in length, which is mechanically challenging. Mm-hmm. So it's not a bad exercise, especially if you're a power lifter. But if you're trying to target the pec through a full range, then it's it's not the best for that defined purpose. Did you go over any studies that you want to specifically talk about, or is the yeah? So are we done? One of the one of the things that I found when I was looking at PNF stretching is it kept talking about how it's very effective at increasing range of motion, and you'll see a lot of places online saying, "Well, yeah." learn about all the things about PNF stretching. It's like, okay, um, well, if you're not assessing me and telling me why I would actually need that range, then maybe not a good choice. Um, but a lot of a lot of what I found ended up being like, well, here's how it works. It definitely does work. Um, but if we break it down into the separate categories that we did static stretching in, do you want to go through that? I forget the categories. <laughs> the categories. Uh, one of them was changes in performance did you find anything that said that it would increase performance uh i did awesome tell me about it it didn't really again i went over so after we mean you talked i went into these meta-analysis i started just geeking out on my google searches was like i need to find the meta-analysis is because i wanted to find like big picture big picture stuff Mm -hmm. and the big picture stuff it was more just like it's like both the contract and relax and antagonist relax methods are effective at increasing like and maintaining range of motion, increasing muscular strength and power and athletic performance specifically or especially after exercise. I'm assuming that that performance increases just getting better control at those end ranges. And then I think the caveat to all of this, all of this junker jargon, though, is uh, this last sentence here saying proper protocol and consistency underlined must be maintained to reap the benefits because i think with any of this stuff i don't feel like most people are that consistent with it everyone says they stretch but i don't believe them i don't believe anyone actually zero (laughs) you should believe people some people are really good. no faith in humanity (laughs) (laughs) well one of the things that that i found that was really interesting between static stretching and pnf is that in a meta-analysis of over 400 um, studies they actually just came out and said, well, PNF is effective in decreasing pain and reducing disability, um, increasing range of motion and improving function. Um, So this is really interesting because it said, especially um, compared to um, typical static stretching, and it even said um, uh, superior than conventional physical therapy, which I don't know. I got to dig into that and see exactly what that means. But 410 studies were included here. And um, so this is something that I didn't really find with static stretching. Did you find anything like that with static stretching? That said it increased performance? uh, Decreased pain. Decreased pain. Mm, Not that I can recall. So yeah, this this is decreasing pain, reducing disability, increasing range of motion, and improving function. (laughs) So this to me just basically says stretching is, is okay. If you add PNF to it, it's better. That's that's kind of what I took away. Yeah, I would say overall that would be my takeaway is that stretching is like static stretching. It's meditative <laughs> if you do it like Eric. There you go. But uh, yeah, PNF in PNF stretching is probably superior in regards to performance, activation, ranges of motion, the whole the whole package. I think it's just a little bit more a better use of your time. But 
the barrier to entry is that it's way easier with a partner and or anything that you want to do solo requires a little bit more of knowledge or a setup. Like I think most people know how to just generically stretch their hamstring, but people would have to let go and figure out how to like approach a PNF method for their hamstring. Like me and you might know an easy way to do it, but that doesn't mean everybody does. Like gen pop static stretching has less barrier to entry. Yeah, well, when I get DMs on my joint level strength class, uh, a lot of times people are like, oh, I don't really understand what it is. Yeah. What do you mean joint level strength? And really that's what I'm showing people how to do. It's like, okay, well, do you have some opportunities as far as how your joint functions? And I talk a lot about what joints actually require because if you're like, well, I'm going to stretch my shoulder. It's like, well, why, why stretch it that way? I don't know. It's like, well, it feels good. Yeah, let's, let's look at what good function is and what movements that needs first for the rest of things to go well. So I see a lot of people stretching their biceps and it's like, ah, you don't really need to stretch your bicep. Uh, what you should likely do is work on the, the backside of the shoulder and tricep a little bit and that'll settle right down. Mm -hmm. So I think that the big limitation in most of this stuff is how do I apply it? And what I see in the industry, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but most of what I see is random. Can I just say something? Say it. I love correcting you when you're wrong. <laughs> Doesn't happen often. <laughs> Do it then. I don't know. What did you say? I just <laughs> got so hooked on like correcting you when you're wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> what I see out there as far as mobility is random crap. Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't get a chance this time. Sorry. Super random crap. <laughs> but, you know, I saw it on the gram. I saw this guy say three best, three best stretches for your shoulder. Well, I had a, a particular person tell me that... Um, so he had a, a really bunged up shoulder and I talked to him about how to make it better and whatever else. And he said that he didn't believe that hiring a trainer was an intelligent use of money because he can go on Instagram and uh, put together a workout himself. And random crap. I didn't, I didn't look at him and say it because he was <laughs> kind of two steps up the ladder from my position at the time. But um, it was like, cool. How's that treating you? Cause your shoulder's still sore. Mm -hmm. Like you still have a problem. So, at the end of the day, even if these interventions are good, I, I just think that it needs to be more targeted. Like, yeah, okay, you can stretch your hamstrings, but why is your hamstring tight, right? It, and it's likely up the chain. It's likely your hip isn't doing its job. Yeah. So my favorite quote all the time was like, random training yields a random result. And you probably have something specific in mind you're trying to fix or work on. Yeah. So, you know, that, of course, I'm biased in this fashion. I think that finding somebody that knows what they're doing and saying, you know, I've been dealing with this for a while. Um, how do I fix it is a good thing. And that's, that's why I tend to send people to my boy, Jeff Caskelly. They go and get some diagnosis of what they're dealing with. And then I get to make some really informed decisions for their programming. And it ends up playing out really, really good. Mm -hmm. So the end of the day, when it comes to PNF stretching, what are we talking about? It's literally static stretching, adding some contraction to it. In my view, it's going to be just a little bit more value. Um, in the research, what I discovered was very, very similar as far as um, performance afterwards. So probably before playing a sport, probably not the best thing to do. Um, it did show that it increases range of motion even more so than static stretching, which sounds positive. But if you don't need range of motion there, it can actually be uh, not a good thing. Um, it does decrease um, pain pretty significantly. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, but overall, it just seems to me so far looking at our, our literature review and our, the meta-analysis that we've brought up that it, it's kind of as you go down the line to do you have control over this, um, that it, it tends to get better. And my 
my bias and my feeling so far is that as we get into our active strengthening and, and things like this, that we're going to find that it has more and more benefit. So at the end of the day, what are the takeaways for me? I think that when you take stretching and you add an active component where you can actually control the tissue, especially if it's something that's targeted that you actually require, it's going to be more valuable than just statically stretching that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My takeaway with all this or conclusion was like, you know, static stretching can increase your range. PNF can stretch, like increase your range, probably a little bit better like you discussed, but most people I think approach stretching to increase their range. They're like, Oh, I've got like 10 years in the industry. Lots of people gave me the goal of like, I want to, I want to be more flexible. I want to increase my flexibility. Why? I don't know. I just feel like it's going to make me feel better more healthy. Like you need to identify like why you're trying to increase those ranges. And then after that, probably seeking a professional help in regards to making sure that you're going around it like the right way. And then consistency is that other, that third piece of the pie that uh, really, really matters doing it once every two weeks probably not going to cut it <laughs> yeah I, I think that's totally fair to say but when it comes to pnf stretching um i would say that there's a fair chunk of fact behind the idea that it has value would you agree with that i'll give it two thumbs up <laughs> okay thank you are you ebert or siskel and seven dentists said that's pretty good yeah, yeah okay well if seven dentists say okay what about the other three they prefer static stretching. Oh, I want to see a commercial that says three out of ten, three out of ten dentists say don't use this toothpaste. It's like what's going to happen, bro? Uh, you didn't pay them enough, I guess. But true, true. Yeah, they're not getting their kick. Well, thanks for watching and listening. For those of you that are still here, um, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next Wednesday, not Tuesday. all I'm giving it. That's all, that's all you get. I'll take what I can get. Thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate your support. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe, follow, and throw us a like on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts.